Crazy Effing Mommy, episode 134. How you doing? Welcome to New York, people. Oh my God, I'm having such a day. I don't even know how it's possible to have such a day at 10 a.m. You know? Like, I got all these people bad at me. I, it, not even my kids. What happened? <laughs> God. My mother is so mad at me. Or at least she's giving me I'm very mad at you vibes on text. We'll hold off on fact of the day for a second. I'll tell you the deal. So, you know, I have the book coming out in about a month. Huge accomplishment. I'm very excited. It'll be out. You could buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Great. Fine. So, the book's at the publisher. And I, um, I, I just am in the process of working with them editing the jacket, right? Like, it's last-minute edits. The jacket's been done. So, I sent... My mom on the group text, my mother and my sisters, I sent her the back of the jacket. Well, I sent it to everybody, but really at my mom. And I was like, Mom, look at this, like how, how fab. And uh, you know, and the back of the, the book jacket, and by the way, the book's a hardcover book, so th- there's no soft copies. Maybe I will eventually, but eh, for now, hardcover, fine. So um, the, the back of the jacket's great. You know, it has a cute little picture, and then it has some really nice quotes from some people that read the book and were nice enough to... Uh, you know, give me their their uh, quote and name for the book. Fabulous. So I send this and I'm thinking, she's going to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I should have known better. She writes, wow, am I in it? So, I, I, you know, I was kind of shocked by this text, although my shrink is like, why does some of this behavior surprise you? By the way, why is my doorbell ringing? Oh, God, I know why. It's because I ordered Costco chicken. Anyway, okay, okay. Um, I can't really stop. I can't get enough of that rotisserie chicken. And can you believe they deliver it? That's a perk to living in Manhattan. Anyway, anyway, back to the story. So she writes, well, am I in it? So I said, yeah, Ma, you're in it, but it's fine. Like, don't, you know, don't worry about it. Everything's good. And she writes back, well, I, I need to see it. I need a snippet. I need you to send me an excerpt. And I'm just like... No. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, the book's at the publisher. It's going to be out in a few weeks. And she says again, well, I, I need to see an excerpt of it. I need to see what's being said about me. I said, Ma, I'm not sending snippets of the book around, okay? And then I said to her, by the by, this is like a huge accomplishment. Like, you know, you this has nothing to do with you. And she says, I need to see what's being said about me. And by asking that, it shouldn't be taking away anything from you. And you know what? I didn't even justify that with with an answer. Because it's just, it's like, what? Like, first of all, this is an Italian mother in a two-second span. Okay, if you want to know what Italian mother is like, that's what it's like. Okay, first of all, my mother, you know, we my parents were divorced. They had a nasty divorce. And my father left and you know you'll read about this in the book and uh and it's it was traumatic you know we had lots of other things happen in the family like all families but my mother is just so deathly scared of I don't know me I don't know talking about family business about me potentially portraying her in a bad light the the truth of the matter is is my mother is whoever she is okay and I have I have figured out a way my sisters and I to to deal with our adult parents' uh, personality quirks, shall we call them, um, 
And, you know, as you get older, you realize your parents are just people. Nobody's perfect, you know. When I went through my own divorce, I saw how difficult that is to navigate. I mean, does my mother drive me crazy? Of course she does. Every time something happens in my life, she has to tell me about how, like, it happens in her life worse. You know, I mean, that's that's how she is. You know, like, I don't know, homeschooling the kids. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, at least you have an ex-husband that helps you. You know, like, it's all that. I can't. Anyway, the book, the book is a, a book of rules that I learned from my family and how I applied them in uh, the corporate world and in a little bit in comedy, right? I talk a little bit about comedy, but it's really it's really more about the business world. And um, But the first half of the book starts, you know, as sort of, uh, my my life, right? Like my my family life and and growing up. So, um, is she in it? Yes. Is it horrible? No. But like my mother, if I wrote a a, a chapter and I described her and said, "Oh, my mother came down the stairs in a you know seafoam green glitter gown," she would write me and be like, "Excuse me." excuse me, it wasn't glitter, it was paillettes. Like, I mean, and she would be annoyed. Like, so I, you know, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation sending her a snippet. You're not getting a snippet, Ma, get over it. Ugh. And you want to know what, by the way, there's another thing. If my kid wrote a book, okay, just saying, we all said this, right? We all say this one more, like, oh, I would never do that. But I really wouldn't. I would be so happy. My daughter draws like a triangle. And I'm like, oh, my God, that triangle is amazing. Is it a pyramid? It, it, what is that? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested. My mother just wants to know how she's affected. Once she gets her clear, then she moves on to something else. That's how she is. I can't. Anyway, fact of the day. Mm. Nutmeg. Yes, nutmeg in your baking cabinet, your spice cabinet. Did you know if taken in large quantities is has a chemical qu- compound that creates a hallucinogenic effect? It has the same effect as MDMA or ecstasy if you take it in large quantities. Could you die? I never heard about this before. And I actually read, which is scary, that in some, um, in well, I should say, in the 18th century, people did use it as a uh, a drug, right? Like, and that's insane. But also, I read that uh, a while ago, you know, uh, I don't know, somewhere, you know, mid, mid-century mid or something, in the 1900s, in impoverished communities, they found people using nutmeg as a way to induce abortion. Basically, apparently, if you take a malted beverage, salt, nutmeg in a lot of, uh, in, in a large quantity, um, and aspirin, and you mix it all together and you drink it, it will trigger, uh, you know, the, this, the, the nerve endings that will, will trigger uh, the passing of, of, you know, a fetus. Is that not wild? I mean, that's sad. It's sad and it's crazy. Um, but they said if you have like a nutmeg poisoning, you sort of, start, or, you know, this fact, you start to feel dizzy and confused and drowsy and you'll have heart palpitate. And I'm just like, what? Like, you know, how bad is your life that you need to get high on nutmeg? I, I, you know, I don't know. It's not, it's not, just wild. Some of the things you hear are wild. Uh, on, on the drug note, I have an anxiety disorder. Should that surprise you? I mean, did, what you just heard, please. And uh, <clears throat> I was taking, for the last, I would say, 10 years on and off, I, well, maybe, maybe not 10, maybe like eight years, I was taking on and off. Uh, clonopin 
and Xanax, which I know, clonopin, you say the word clonopin and people are like, oh my God, she's a drug addict. And no, it's not. See, the difference is, if you don't know, is Xanax is a pill. You know, both are prescribed by my shrink, but Xanax is a pill. And if you're having an anxiety attack, you're having something happen, you know, you take it and within five, 10 minutes, the anxiety goes away. Quells. Clonopin is heavier, but it's uh, more uh, a sustained 24-7 type of prescription, right? It's like the equivalent of keeping your blood pressure down. So uh, if you have an anxiety disorder and you're just always anxious, you're just constantly in this state of angst and you can't, you know, you're not, or, or you have this all the time, you can't be taking, you know, three Xanax a day the doctor will prescribe you clonopin. So that's what, what I had. And I have a low dosage. Well, no more, but I did have a low dosage of these prescriptions. Um, very sensitive to medication, right? And um, I, I, I could never, t- I don't know what the milligrams are, you know, but like I could never take like a 15, 20 milligram, like nothing like that. It was all like very, very low. Anyway, I stopped taking it because I don't want to have to be dependent on a prescription medication for something like anxiety. I fully believe in medication. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I know, I, I don't know, three quarters of my friends are on some sort of antidepressant or something. That's just the, 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 <laughs> that's just the way of the world. But I didn't want to be on the anxiety medication because I just felt like, I could do this myself, you know, I could do it myself. And the reason what the reason why I started it was because I went through a very difficult period of my life where my father died and I was working a thousand hours a day at work and I was laid off and, and my mother just disappeared. I mean, it was, I had that babe, a new boy. It was like, it was so, I was the primary uh, breadwinner in my family. I think I was making like five times what my husband made at the time. You know, it was like we were having marriage problems. It was so, so and by the by, the majority of the bills fell on my shoulders, not easy. It was so hard, right? And um, I, I turned to this, to the pre- prescription with my doctor. So I told him I'm going to stop taking it. And we went through this back and forth, at least why you should take it. Da-da. I said, no, I'm going to do it myself. So I stopped. Let me tell you something. I went through the most insane withdrawal uh, like last month. I was so scared. I mean, it was the craziest, most frightening thing uh, that has happened to me. And let me tell you something. Like I said, I wasn't using any of these medications recreationally. I stopped the clonopin. And I literally was sweating and 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 freaking out and having more anxiety than I can ever imagine. And when I did that, my thought was, oh, I'm going to take a Xanax to get me over this. And then, you know, I was like, I'm not, you know, Xanax is done, you know. And I had my doctor purposely not, you know, refill it, call the prescription to pharmacy. It's so wild that these medications, when stopped, can make you feel even more so the the one thing that you're trying to get a, away from comes back. It's like it's like it has some insane rebound effect. Uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about Xanax. I haven't watched it. I think it's it's um. I, I think it. I think I haven't watched it because I think it scares me a little bit. But basically, the gist is what I'm trying to tell you is I became dependent on this medication for the last you know few years. I just 
it just became part of what I take in the morning. Like I'll have a coffee, I have my vitamins, and I would, you know, take the clonopin. And I didn't realize that my body probably was just addicted to it, just got so used to it. So when my body stopped taking it, I was a lunatic. I was completely anxious. I didn't want to leave the house. I was freaking out. Anyway, so I've been reading, you know, I've been doing like doing meditation, you know, which is hilarious. Here I am sitting in a leopard turtleneck, you know, in, in, in my studio, right? Talking to you in my living room that has wall-to-wall leopard carpeting. And I'm talking to you how I'm meditating. I mean, it's a joke. It's like, but you want to know what? It actually works. It actually works. It works. I've tried it in the past. You know, I did other things in the past. I went to ashrams and all this kind of crazy nut stuff. But uh, yeah, I've got the crystals. You know, I have like the singing bowl. It's like you you twirl it around with a wooden stick and it's like ping. You know, I listen to a lot of meditation stuff on Spotify. I like Thich Nhat Hanh, who recently passed away, uh, but he was a, a Buddhist monk that talked a lot about mindfulness and all this. Stuff. I like all this stuff, right? Because I just do. I just, it's, you know what? It's better than reading the effing news that every time I turn on the news, it's, it's, it's shock and horror. Okay. It's, it's shock and horror. Anyway. But one thing that about, about uh, meditation that really does help when I was having these, uh, these, these anxiety attacks, right? Like when I was stopped, when I stopped the prescription is if I close my eyes for like five seconds and I just listen actively listen to the noise I hear in my surroundings. Maybe it's a car honking, maybe it's people talking, whatever it is. Close my eyes, five seconds. I listen to the noise and nothing else. And that moment, my mind is totally free of any other thought that's in it, just for that split second. And so I do that a few times a day. And the more I do it, the longer your tolerance builds up to to be able to flush out any thought, right? And just focus on that specific sound. And then sort of like a level up is is once you're able to sort of meditate, right? Because that's what this is, meditate. Once you're able to do it for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, the thoughts will come into your head. You will have thoughts, but just acknowledging the thoughts, you know, okay, that's a scary thought. That's That's an excited thought. You know, acknowledging it and then sort of letting it float out, right? That's, that's, that's like, that's the second level. And some, some, um, I think it's Jay Shetty who uh, wrote a really good book called Think Like a Monk. It came out a few years ago. I bought it. It's fabulous. He's like a, he's a British guy, an Indian guy, British guy who worked in finance and, you know, in London. And he turned around and told his parents he was going to go become a monk in India. And his parents were like, are you fucking kidding me? And he was like, yeah, I'm dead serious. Like, I'd rather spend a few years learning how to breathe and how to meditate and sort of, like, be one with myself as opposed to slaving in an office, you know, entry level, whatever. Parents were like, okay, fine. And he did it, and then he wrote a book, and now he's a speaker and da-da-da. And he's such an interesting guy. It's worth a read. Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. Anyway, mm. he says one of the things he learned at the ashrams was – be like the sky, not like the weather. Like, I know, that sounds kind of crazy. But it's, it, it, the weather is the emotions. The weather are the feelings that come throughout your body. And the sky, you know, is just always there. Your body is always there. 
so the weather comes comes through. Anyway, I like that. Okay, moving on. Well, actually, let me just say this. Note to self. I'm never taking Clonopin or Xanax again because it was the scariest fucking thing. That's all I have to say. So if you have a friend or uh, a child or whoever you know that is taking these medications or just Xanax, because I actually think Xanax might be worse because you're taking it like you're just popping it, you know, you're just popping it like on an as-needed basis. But I wasn't one of these people that would take it in the morning and the night. You know, I really only took it when I had the panic attack. But I do know people that have real Xanax addictions. You know, real. You know, a lot of these people they're in comedy. And uh, if you know somebody that's that's doing, I keep an eye on them. You know, because it's not it's not a pretty thing. Anyway, so moving along, of course, you know, so. Oh, well, I have anxiety and I'm letting it, you know, be like the weather, come and go. Hmm. Okay, so I'm like, well, what should I do when I feel anxious? Oh, well, cook. Yeah, that's exactly what I want while I'm on my never-ending diet. So St. Patrick's Day is coming up and I decide, you know what, I'm going to make an Irish soda bread. And I didn't want to make it in my bread machine, which I have and love. And I think I told you ages ago, my ex-mother-in-law, Christine, she had a bread machine, which is where I got turned on to the bread machine. And she used to make bread every few days in the bread machine in like her little shed, right? Like near her house. And um, the reason why she made it was, that, well, they live in Wales. It's not like they're getting, you know, Costco chicken delivered at the door. You know what I'm saying? They, they, she literally did it because the supermarket was miles away. The only thing that was in the village in Wales of my ex-in-law's Welsh village, it was like a pub, a post office and a, and a beauty parlor. I mean, that was a barbershop. That was literally, that was all that was in a little village. Everything else you got to get in your car. You got to drive super far away, right? So she would make bread. And she had this steel square contraption sitting on, you know, a ledge. And, and she would turn out these beautiful Pullman loaf looking things and they were great they were it was like so nice every morning to have fresh bread I was like ma this lady makes fresh bread and I was like who has time for that anyway <laughs> oh my god growing up my mother didn't make fresh bread my mother threw a Nutri-Grain bar at me and was like make sure you eat it all or when I was three years old let me say this when I was three years old my mother she trained me. Then you know, now you wonder why I have anxiety. Or now you wonder why she's so upset of what's going to come out in this book. When I was three years old, she used to make me a cheese sandwich the night before, put it on the bottom shelf of the refrigerator, and she taught me to wake up. When I woke up in the morning, go in the fridge, take out my cheese sandwich, turn on the television, Sesame Street, and, and, and sit down and eat it and watch it by myself. I mean, like, that's a little sad. Like, I get, like, six, six years old, seven years old, but three? I don't know if three should be dining alone. Just a thought. Then you wonder why she's so freaking paranoid or I have anxiety. But no, but I, I whatever. She did raise me very independent. There's the silver lining, okay, people? You got to look for the silver linings with your family. Otherwise, you'll constantly be at war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Oh, you could say, oh, my mother. <laughs> she didn't make me breakfast. She gave me a Nutri-Grain bar. Other side of it, well, she was a multitasker. She fed her kids breakfast, and she got other stuff. So, you know, anyway, moving on. Okay, so I, I did, I did that. I, I have the bread machine. I didn't want to make the soda bread in the bread machine. I wanted to try to make it in the Dutch oven. You know, I have a five-quart 
cast iron Dutch oven. I used to have a light crusade. I don't know what happened to it. I, I feel like I brought it somewhere and I never got it back. Like like every Tupperware I've ever had, you know? This, um, so I bought another one a few years ago. Cuisinart actually made one on Amazon. It's just as good. It's like a quarter of the price. It's just as good. I don't even care. Uh, you know, so I said, oh, you leave some support. You don't have a light crusade. Yeah, all right, whatever. Uh, I'll get one. I mean, it doesn't keep me up at night. Like, whatever I got, I got. So uh, um, I made the, the bread. I love making bread in the Dutch oven, you know, because... It's it's like it's like giving birth. Like you put the raw dough in the in the oven, you cover it, and then when you take the top off, you know, ding, it's like a baby. It grew. It's beautiful. It's, it's so surprising. So anyway, this is the easiest recipe. Let me tell you how I did it. I preheated the oven to four twenty five, right? And the the point of that is obviously you're gonna put your Dutch oven in before you add the bread in because you want the Dutch oven to be really hot. So I preheat the oven to four twenty five. While that's preheating. I took the Dutch oven, I greased it with butter, the bottom and the sides, because you don't want the bread to stick, and then I dusted it a little with flour, because again, you don't want the dough to stick. When that was done, I put it in the oven, uncovered, for 30 minutes, okay? While that was heating up, I took a piece of parchment paper, I just, you know, cut it off the roll, and I put it on the counter, and then in a mixing bowl, I took four cups of flour. You could use bread flour, but I didn't have that. I took a teaspoon of baking soda, put it in. Uh, let me see, I have it written down. A, a one and a half teaspoons of salt, dumped it in the bowl. And then one and three quarters cup of buttermilk, dumped it in. And mix it together, right? And when it's done, plop it onto the parchment paper and, and bake it in the uncovered oven for 30 minutes and then after 30 minutes take the cover off oh sorry put it in the dutch oven covered for 30 minutes and then take the cover off and bake it for another 10-15 minutes so it gets golden brown the bread was fabulous here's where i went wrong though i think is i made that recipe i also added in caraway seeds and some raisins and craisins and the reason why is i like like a raisin bread you know and Usually Irish soda bread has raisins in it or currants or something. So, which I actually have currants because it's in a lot of British recipes. But I didn't, I, they're hard to find, so I didn't want to waste them. So I, I got out the bag of craisins, you know, my, my, and I got my ShopRite bag of raisins, whatever. Put like a cup of raisins, craisins mix in, and then maybe a teaspoon of the caraway seeds. And then for me, that's when I plop the bread on the parchment, right? Same recipe, just with the, the stuff. The added the addons. The bread is supposed to come out. What like if you knock the bread, it's supposed to come out hollow. It's supposed to hear. You're supposed to hear it hollowish on the inside, and the outside is supposed to be, uh, you know, crispy and gorgeous and whatever. My outside was. It was a beauty, but when I cut into it, it was very dense. So I'm wondering if the the raisins and craisins and the caraway seeds made it dense, or if maybe just perhaps, you know, I don't know. It's this is just a dense spread. I really don't know. But the baking soda is what makes uh, Irish soda bread. Irish soda bread. It it's still very good. You know, just because a bread is dense, who cares? All right, so it's not fluffy. Big F and deal. I heated it up, put some butter on it. Oh my god. It's so good. But I do, and you know, and it lasts on the days. I put it in a Ziploc bag. 
it lasts, I don't know, three, it'll last three or four days. Uh, I am, I have to though remake it without the raisins and craisins to see if that changes the density at all. But it's totally worth it. It's just, it's, it's nice. Mm. And I'll do the, you know, and I'll do the, the corned beef and cabbage and all that kind of stuff, you know, on St. Patrick's Day. But it's really, it's, it's a fun thing to do. I think it's fun to make the bread, you know. I'm always making bread when I'm on diets. I mean, what, what, what kind of crazy is that? That's a whole nother level of crazy. That's a whole nother level of torture, right? Okay, did you watch Chris Rock's Selective Outrage special on Netflix? I think it's worth a watch. You should check it out. A uh, lot of mixed reviews in the comedy community. Some people were saying it was more like a TED Talk, not as much comedy. Other people were saying it's amazing. He sounds like Rock. He, um, and was talking about some really important issues in the form of stand-up. I think it was a mix of the both. I really liked it. You know, hour long, he's 58 years old. He's dressed in all white. Doc Martens looks great. Set great. It was, um, where did he, in Baltimore. He taped it in Baltimore. Big theater. I thought, uh, you know, it was very, you know, so we talked about, uh, you know, some racial issues, you know, wokeish sort of stuff. He talked about, uh, I think he talked about transgender stuff. He had some really funny bits about the Kardashians. I mean, you got to watch how Kris Jenner, she's like, you know, like an old school grandma. She lets everybody come in, you know. Oh, you're a bipolar rapper, come into my family. Oh, you're a you're a crackhead basketball player, come into my family, grab a plate. Like she's, she, he really, he really does a very funny job when he's writing these, like that's a really great bit, right? Or he talks about how, Beyonce is so gorgeous, and uh, if she worked in Burger King, like Jay-Z would still marry her because that's how fabulous she is, right? But he's like, but if Jay worked in Burger King, <laughs> you know, like it's funny, you know, there's some really funny parts. He does talk about important issues, issues or issues that are important to us, society as a whole, important to him, fine. At the end of the special, which I think is the, the, the biggest worthwhile part to watch, is if you saw the Oscar slap, he addresses it and his closing bit. And basically he's saying, you know, like he got, he made a little joke at Jada a few years ago. And then at the Oscars, he mentioned her like one, one little piece, whatever. And then Will Smith obviously got up, slapped him, whatever. And he was saying, Jada had, this is what he says. I couldn't even believe this. He said, Jada had an affair with her son's best friend and Will Smith, and they have this weird ass marriage. This is, this is what Rock's saying, this is my opinion. They have this weird ass marriage and Will Smith just, you know, has taken the marital issues and exploded. And he's like, Jada, I made a joke about you a few years ago. You started this. And now he says, I'm finishing it. You know, he goes on this whole rant, rah, rah, rah. And then he drops the mic and he leaves the stage. And that's how it closes. It was angry. You know, his sort of, I felt like his delivery was angry. It was sort of passionate. You know, it was it was fiery. He used a lot of F-bombs. Also throughout the special, he used a lot of F-bombs. It was raw. It definitely wasn't as polished as some of his other bits like the Beyonce, Jay-Z, Burger King or the Christian. It was much more like, okay, here I entertained you for 50 minutes and now I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to just talk to you. And he throws in a little sprinkle of this. That I thought it was great. And I heard, I think, I don't know where I read it. 
I have a muscle right now. But Netflix, first of all, they paid him a ton of money. Tens upon tens of millions of dollars uh, to do this. I don't know if, um, if, if how much they paid him as publicized. So I can't, I'm not going to say the amount. But it was like so much money. It's insane. It's like you could retire for generations on this money. And um, he, they, they promoted it. They promoted it like a fight. You know, like how they would promote a fight, like as opposed to like a fight, you know, like a boxing fight, as opposed to like a comedy special. And, and you know, nothing draws a crowd like a fight, like a little drama, you know. And, and so Netflix was smart, I think, in the sense of how they promoted this because it, 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 it drummed, look, it drummed up all this conversation. Everybody's talking about it. And uh, I th listen, I thought it was good. You got to watch it. You got to watch it. You got to tell me what you think. Um. Yeah. One of the things I like that he said, by the by, which look, this is how good I think it is. I think it was so good that it's, we're talking about it. We're not laughing about it though. That's so, I mean, well, I did laugh, but well, let me say this. One of my friends who's a very accomplished female stand-up said to me, you know, Elise, she's like, the reason why I didn't like it, she said, is because when I watch comedy, I want to sit and I want to laugh. That's it. I just want to be entertained. I agree with that. When you're going and you're paying money to a comedy club, you don't want to hear a TED talk, right? Maybe you just want to like kick your feet up and have a cocktail and laugh, right? But if you're going to see somebody specific, right? If you're going to watch somebody specific, you probably know a little bit about their background or what they're going to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Like if you come to see me, right? I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Rock, but if you come to see me at all, but if you come to see me, you you are uh, going to laugh, right? You're going to laugh. But you'll also hear stories or whatever, probably about my mother, right? About working in the corporate world, right? I mean, about, you know, having British kids. You know, you're not going to just come and hear stories, uh, you know, jokes about, you know, cannolis and mozzarella. You know, it's a, it's, I, I'm a different, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? So I have to disagree with my friend who's, you know, the successful standard because I don't, I think that everybody knew that he was going to probably uh, talk <clears throat> more broadly about social justice, um, maybe some racial issues, maybe, you know, like fighting, you know, because of the events. And he would be stupid not to. He would let his fans down. And let me tell you, he, he got huge applause, huge applause. And at the end of that special... You know, he had his hands up in the air and he's vulnerable and it looked like he had tears in his eyes. I, I, I liked it. And the one, the one part that I liked the best was something he said, is he said, we live in this culture right now that's so victim driven. Everybody's like, I'm a victim, like poor me, you know. And he said, he could have easily went and sat down with Oprah or Gail and talk to them about, you know, how he was slapped and he's so upset and Hollywood this and they let that happen and then Will got to sit and watch the rest of the show. He didn't get the boot, you know, blah, blah. Even, of course, though, he was, he is banned from the Oscars for the next 10 years. But they didn't remove him in the moment, you know. Um, and Rock was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a victim. He's like, I was an innocent bystander in their marital, you know, uh, scuffle. And I'm, and it is what it is. He's like, it is what it is. He's like, and the only thing I'm doing was I wanted to save my 
point of view and my story until now that you can hear it on my stage. I don't know if he said this, but it's like he wants to save it till now. You could hear it on his stage, on his comedy special. He's not going to give Oprah or Gail, you know, those kind of ratings. He doesn't want to sit down and tell the story with them. He doesn't want to play the victim. And I thought that's so nice because everything in life, everything happens to everybody in life, right? But so many people like, poor me, you know, even, even, kind of even what I said before when I was talking about my upbringing and I'm like, oh, my mother, she did X, Y, and Z. I don't, that happens, but I'm not, I don't walk around and say like, oh, this is that. It just, it's like, all right, it happened. Move on. Get over it. You know, like, come on. Anyway. Okay. Um, another, uh, book, because I feel like I mentioned a few books in this episode. Um, Shirley MacLaine's daughter, Sachi Parker, is an acquaintance of mine. We've done some play readings together, some uh, screenplay readings together. One of them specifically was, I can't remember the name, but it was an Italian play that was translated into English, and it's on archive at the Queens College in the Italian archive section, Italian libraries. And we were in the studio with a bunch of actors, and uh, <clears throat> Sachi was there doing a role, and she is a fabulous actress. I mean... She kind of looks like her mother. You know, she has long hair, Sachi, but she, and she may think she's about 65. But she she has like the Shirley MacLaine mouth. She, if genetics definitely, you know, talent is definitely genetic and it's passed down. Because she, I mean, her acting was spectacular. Anyway. So she wrote a book called Lucky Me. And I bought it. It's, it's definitely worth reading. It's it's so interesting. If you like Shirley MacLaine, if you like Hollywood stories, it's this is a good book. Sachi... In her words, because I think Shirley had a lot to say about the book, a lot of negative things to say, but Sachi wrote a biography about her life growing up with her big star mother and her big director father and how her mother sent her to Japan at a very young age to go live with her father and she was raised, Sachi was raised in Japan, she didn't live with the mother. And she talks about how her mother was a crazy narcissist and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And whether it's true or not, who knows? You know, nobody really knows the truth. But it's so interesting, all of her stories. And uh, and you really fall in love with Sachi as a person. You're like, oh, my God, like, you're so great. And it's so weird how I found this book because I, I bought the book just because the, the subject interested me. And then I met her. Like at a play read. I didn't even know she was going to be there. So it was like this weird serendipitous thing, right? But anyway, in her book, she talks about liking eider-down comforters. Do you know what eider-down comforters are? Yeah, I didn't know either, okay? So she's like, in her book, oh, oh, my big luxury in life is eider-down comforters. I just love them. They keep me warm in the winter and cool in the summer and they last my whole lifetime and it's my big luxury. So I'm like a comforter. Okay. So, you know, of course I'm like, I want to get an Ida Down comforter. I Google it. Ida Down comforters start and pillows start at $6,000. They go up to like $25,000. I know, $25,000. They last for 50 years. The royals use them. Apparently, Ida is a duck from Hungary and they, uh, they, their feathers are soft and billowy and plushy and like unlike anything in the world. And they, the feathers come off in the nest and then they're hacking and boobsing. They're hand harvested out of the nest and they, and they, you know, and that's how they get the, the eider down, right? And they stuff the comforters and the pillows. So 
they're in short supply is basically what I'm saying. And, um, and, and, and so that's the reason for the price. So, of course, after I read this book, I'm like, I want to try an Ida Zown comforter. Maybe I could turn the internet upside down and find one for cheap. So, I, I, I didn't. Newsflash, I didn't. But what I did find was I found a place in Budapest that makes handmade down pillows and down comforters for a bargain price. And people swear by them. This place is called Elfenbein Comforters. The website is some shady-ass website. But if you Google Elfenbein Comforters, it'll come up, or Elfenbein TripAdvisor. And uh, I ordered four pillows from them at like 4 a.m. It was an insane purchase. Well, insane, not like cost. Insane because like why am I importing pillows from Budapest to Manhattan at 4 in the morning? Anyway. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, the pillows were maybe like $40 each. I got two Euro shams, which is, you know, the 26 by 26 pillows. And the reason why I got those, I don't usually do Euro shams, but I have them because when I was in Italy, one of the hotels I stayed at had them and they were so sumptuous. I loved, I, I remember sitting up in bed with the long, you know, king pillow and then the square down, uh, the square Euro sham. And it was a really plushy down in front of the, the pillow. And I, I was able to sit up straight and like read my read my book and it was so comfortable. Like I was such it was, it was so comfortable. <laughs> Maybe it was also the beautiful Italian decor and environment. Fine. Maybe the fact that there was champagne in my room. Fine. <laughs> but I so I bought the down and then two king pillows. And then they came and they didn't come in a box. They came in like a plastic bag kind of thing, like a 99 cents vinyl plaid bag, you know, with like a zipper. And it was wrapped in plastic and more. It was so, it was so, I actually didn't open it until this past week because I was scared that maybe the pillows were going to stink. I don't know. I was just, it, I was like, what is this when it arrived? What is this? Who sent me this? And then I was like, oh my God, it's my 4 a.m. purchase. That's what happens, right? That has to happen to you. I, I I I was in the coffee shop recently and two mothers were comparing their Amazon list and one mother's like, oh, ignore all this stuff down here. This is all the stuff I bought at 3 a.m. All the stuff on the top, that's the regular stuff. That's what I do. That's why I have shit that comes through the door. I don't even remember what I bought. I do not remember what I ordered last night. And I'm not saying, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm talking about like, an eyeliner sharpener. Like, I'll be like, oh, I need a metal eyeliner sharpener. Or, oh, I need a metal comb. Can't find that anywhere. Let me order it. But it's so ridiculous. You know, and then I get a, a box. I get a box from Amazon with one singular metal comb. Like, three days later. And I'm like, who, what, what? Oh, God, is somebody trying to send me a message and then I'm like oh I did that <laughs> I have to check the time <laughs> to see if I ordered it or not anyway so the the pillows came they are fabulous they are amazing I mean I took a picture of them I think in my story like I was like oops made one of these purchases again great Elfenbein comforters I love you they they and if you look at the pictures on TripAdvisor they look like they're based in a cave in Hungary literally but it, <clears throat> they're not eider down. Sachi, I did not find your fancy eider down, but I did find what I thought 
where I think is a great alternative. The best thing when you order from these people is they say, do you like the pillow stuffed stuffed or like medium stuffed or lightly stuffed? You know, and they, they sent them like within three days of ordering. Like, I don't know. They It's like they drove the jet themselves. They flew the jet themselves from Budapest to New York. Mm. My product of the week is another book. And it's from Polly the Tooth. I'm going to hold it up. <clears throat> If you're watching, it's a, it's a book called, it's a yellow paperback book, thick book, 300 pages, called The School of Life, An Emotional Education by uh, Alain de Botton. And it's such a good book. You got to get this book, honestly. It's, um, let me tell you why. So a few years ago, I was in Florida. We took the girls for their, uh, what, for, I, we took Annie for her birthday, right? And um, I can't remember where, where were we? We were shelling anyway I was divorced you know but Paul Paul flew down stayed at a hotel down there we took uh Annie you know on a, a great like boat shelling cruise for her birthday you know and my obviously my other daughter Vivi was there my family was there it was really nice and um when I saw Paul in the hotel he was sitting <clears throat> at the bar of course because he's British and he was reading this book and I said to him well what book is that and he said oh it, it, this book Lisa is changing my life I said, it's set, it's called an emotional, the school of life, an emotional education. I said, you couldn't read that book when we were married? Like, we got divorced and now you're educating yourself emotionally? Great. Thanks, Paulie the Tooth. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's how upset he makes me. My throat gets clogged. So he was like, I said, what is it about? The book is about... <clears throat> um relationships and money and your childhood and your future and mindfulness again it just fits sort of in the theme of this episode right but it's it and it explains why we do the things we do and it, ha it has like so many so many chapters it's a self-help book but like not really it just kind of gives you short paragraphs that are scientific you know, because he has tons of references. There's big references in the book. There's glossary. Talk about, yeah, I'm looking. Sex, good listener, whether, do you, worrying about pe whether people like us or not, uh, like us or not. Charm, shyness, vulnerability. What do we, how do we deal with enemies, motives, um, therapy. I mean, it's so, it's just so much how we grow and develop as people. It's really so interesting. It's basically everything school should teach us like, but don't, you know, like how amazing would it be if we had a class like this when we were little kids in school, right? To understand maybe psychology or our emotions. It's fantastic. So when I was going through uh, my anxiety stuff a month ago, I said to Paul, what's that book that changed your life? <laughs> and he was like, don't worry, I'll just send it to you. And he'd Amazoned it to me, so nice of him. And I've been reading it every night, you know, and it's little bits before I go to bed. You gotta get it. It's just really good. It takes a little bit to read. It's a slow read. There's like, you know, it's... The guy who wrote it is French, so I don't know if it was translated or he just has a really fantastic vocabulary. But, uh, this, you know, some of it, I'm like, what does that word mean? I gotta look it up. So it it, it takes a little bit. But once you kind of get the, the gist of it, and you're in the right mindset to read it. It's so good. School of Life, Alain de Botton, an emotional education. That's the product of the day. Okay. Uh, quote, quote, quote. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson says, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Not your spouse, not the things you buy, not even your kids, you know, not your job. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. So very fitting. Anyway, that's that. I love to love you, baby. So excited to talk to you. See you next week. I'm Elise DeLucci. I'm gonna get to the bottom of 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 the b